Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing 
every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey, we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. All right. Well, welcome to uh, another episode of Elk Talk Podcast. This week, I am uh, flying solo here. Randy is, I don't know if he's mule deer hunting or antelope hunting, but it's one of the inferior species to elk. Uh, He is skipping out, but I brought in uh, a pretty awesome guest I'm excited to visit with today. Uh, I've got Bryce Bishop with me, and Bryce is the founder, owner, brains behind Peaks Equipment. That's P-E-A-X Equipment. And uh, you might know Bryce from uh, Sissy Sticks. And uh, anyway, we'll jump right in here. But Bryce, welcome to the Elk Talk podcast. Thanks, Corey. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? <laughs> doing great. Uh yeah. It's almost season time, so we're uh, we're ready to get going. Absolutely. How's uh, how's the weather? You're over in Bozeman, also, right? Yeah, we are. Um, you know, it's been I think like everywhere else, just super hot, super dry, and super smoky from all the fires. It's like last night we got tons of rain, and I wake up this morning and I look out, and I still can't see the mountains. So it's just we're just socked in with smoke over here, and. It's, uh, I'm a little worried about that for, for elk hunting, but you know, you just have to work with it. So. Yeah. Now it's been a long fire season. I think we got our first fires the first part of July and it just seemed like the smoke rolled in then and really hasn't left. It's definitely better now than it was, you know, like you said, it was so thick for a while. You didn't even want to go outside. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny. My wife, I came home from, I don't remember if I was getting firewood or something, but came home and she was out working in the garden and had a mask on. And so I went out and te- teased her about COVID. I'm like, Hey, I don't think you're going to get anything out here in middle of nowhere in your garden. And, yeah. uh, so teased her a little bit. And my sister was actually there visiting and we've got a little, uh, skid road that goes to our well down below the garden there. And my sister was walking her dog on the road and evidently my wife didn't recognize her or whatever, but my sister looked up and said, something about are you afraid of COVID or something and my wife looked down and didn't know who it was and she thought somebody was <laughs> trespassing on her land asking about COVID and oh, man. took her a minute to to recognize there but yeah she was wearing a mask because the smoke was so thick outside it just burns your throat. Yeah that might be the only thing those masks are good for is blocking all those <laughs> smoke particles. <laughs> yeah uh no it'll uh you know hopefully you mentioned getting a lot of moisture last night we haven't got anything over here in idaho like really you know i yeah even in eastern idaho i know they've been getting a little bit and other places but man where we're at in central idaho we just we haven't got anything it's it's just been dry and hot yeah i mean it it was it's been dry and hot for weeks and weeks and weeks here but at the last I don't know, a week and a half to two weeks, we've gotten a handful of storms that have come through and dumped quite a bit of moisture, actually. So we're hopeful that that kind of tempers everything down a little get, a little bit and gives us a good um, you know, start to the season. And the grass is starting to actually grow again here, so that's a good sign. And 
hopefully the high country is doing well and that moisture will help sustain us through the fall. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's, uh, let's hold off on talking elk hunting plans for a little bit and let's <laughs> sure. talk, uh, let's talk peaks equipment. Just yeah, uh, yeah. maybe give us a quick background on, on what it is, where it came from. And uh, I can remember, has it been two or three years ago when you came out with Sissy Sticks? Uh, yeah, so, so it was 2017. It was the fall of 2017 when kind of the idea really just started. Um, my brother and I were in the backcountry hunting elk. And before that trip, he said, you really need to get a pair of trekking poles. And I was like, I don't want a pair of trekking poles. Those, those are for sissies. <laughs> um, and, you know, we just, he was like, you really need some. And so I think I went to Walmart of all places on the way out of town, grabbed the cheapest $19 pair of trekking poles I could find on the rack. And off we went, you know, and, and we were hunting and got a bowl down and, we just started that process of, you know, packing out and we were coming down a pretty rocky face and I bent those $19 poles completely in half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were, they were done, like completely done. You couldn't salvage them. And, uh, you know, the whole rest of the pack out was miserable, but it led to this great conversation about trekking poles. And, you know, we, we just talked about, man, could you make a trekking pole specifically for hunting? And I got home and of course got on Google and put in trekking poles for hunting. And I, you know, got a thousand different hits all over the place. Um, just everything you can imagine from, you know, again, the super cheap pairs to $230 pairs. And, you know, it was a little discouraging at first, but just kind of couldn't let go of that idea of, could you really make a trekking pole specifically for a backcountry hunter? And just started tinkering around with that idea. Um, it took about six months to kind of put the very first prototype together. And of course we were really weight conscious. And so we, you know, we, we focused on carbon fiber, you know, to the beginning of, of all this and, you know, carbon just doesn't last, especially in that bottom section of the pole. So we broke a lot of different prototypes and, um, it, it just was a process of starting to little by little tweak it here, tweak it there. And, you know, over the course of about a year, we, we just made a lot of changes and my brother and I just kind of would take them out and test them and break them and tweak it a little bit and take it out and test it and break it. And, uh, you know, after about that year, we just kind of settled in on that combination of carbon fiber upper and middle section, and then like an aerospace grade aluminum in the bottom section. And, you know, we, we took them out and we didn't break them. <laughs> so we were like, all right, well, maybe we're onto something finally. And by that time I had kind of, um, uh, gotten connected with you and Randy. And I think I sent you guys the first prototype models and you guys had kind of tested them and provided some really valuable feedback. And we made a few more tweaks at that point. And then I got connected with Brian call and he was taking a trip with Ryan Lampers to New Zealand. And I said, do you mind taking them over there and testing them? And he was really skeptical. You know, Brian, he's super skeptical about everything. <laughs> 
<laughs> but he was like, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll try them. And, uh, they survived his New Zealand trip. And, and it was at that point, that was about, um, May of 2018, I think, uh, you know, he came back and went, yeah, you know, we think we can put our stamp of approval on these things. And, um, we just did a few, you know, cosmetic tweaks at that point, And then we launched like four months later in August of, of 2018. And for that first year, we were just the Sissy Sticks trekking pole. We just had one model. Um, we had no idea what we were doing, trying to build an e-commerce brand. I came from, you know, a financial services background, working with property casualty insurance companies and default mortgage servicing firms and hedge funds and <laughs> so a lot of crossover there i'm sure <laughs> yeah, right? Right? Had, had zero really engineering background whatsoever um but it was just well, I, can, I was gonna say i can remember you know when you sent me the first ones and i, I was kind of the same process it was probably i don't know six or seven years ago I got my first set of trekking poles and like you, I'd always called them, you know, yuppie sticks or hippie poles or, you know, the only <laughs> yeah, people right. I ever saw using them were the, uh, the granola hikers on established trails and you could hear the little metal bottoms clicking up through the rocks coming up there. And yeah, thought, who, who would want extra gear just dangling off of their hands? You know, I want to carry my bow. I want to carry my bugle tube. Right. And then I used them for the first time. And like you said, on a heavy pack out, and the way that they transfer weight and take weight off of your legs and your knees, yeah. especially coming downhill, it was it was game changer. I you know started carrying a set with me, and for me it's kind of the same. I don't use them a lot, but I use them if I'm packing in a long ways and I have my bow strapped to my back. Uh, right. I'll use them to go uphill, or if we kill something, you know, then coming out with heavy load. But I didn't, you know, I, I don't just walk around with them all day. And so I didn't want uh, a big set. I just wanted something small and compact and lightweight I could keep in my pack. Right. And you sent me the, the first sissy stick, and it was completely different than everything I loved about my, my poles at the time. So I had, you know, a cork hand grip. I had small little wrist straps because I wore them the wrong way, evidently. Yeah. And they were uh, a trifold, you know, the Z style. Uh, so they folded down real small. And then you sent me these ones that didn't fold down. They were a little longer. They were fairly lightweight. The strap on them was way too long. I couldn't even cinch it down. And it was foam <laughs> on the hand grip. And I'm thinking, there's no way. I don't, I don't like them. They're, it's different. It's right. change. And so I provided you some of that feedback that, you know, the grip's a little different than what I like. And you said, well, you're wearing them wrong. I'm like, no, this is the way to do it. I get way, way better grip on them this way. And of course I'd been called out by a few other people for wearing them wrong. And, <laughs> and, uh, you said, well, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be making some changes and some, take some of, uh, your, your advice into consideration. And then, uh, you know, at the time, like you had mentioned, that was your only product that one. And so, Take us through the the next little bit then of where you went from there and how you got to where you are right now. Yeah. So, you know, we, again, we were just trying to figure it out. It, it was at that point, we felt like we had a viable product that, that we could sell and we had some people that were willing to help us. And um, so we, you know, we launched and, and started fulfilling orders out of the garage and, you know, and then it just kind of, 
took off. And it was one of those things that we just hadn't anticipated. It was, it was going to be more of just a little passion project, a little hobby, little side hustle, you know, just to make some extra income or whatever. And it just, it just exploded on us out of nowhere. And, and so then we were like, well, what can we do to improve this model of a poll? And where do we really want to take this business as a brand? And I, I think at that point it was, Oh, it was, I think it was January of 2020 at that point. And I got connected with a few more people, you know, Dave Brinker, Jordan Harbertson, Ryan Bassham, uh, Harrison Lindsay, a few other guys that just, you know, have a lot of experience in this industry and a lot of experience of, you know, bringing products to market and branding and, you know, just, just building an actual brand. And so, um, I took another risk, you know, it was a big, it was a big risk to reach out to guys like you and, and Randy at the early stages. I probably should have waited till we had a, a much better product before I sent you guys the prototype. But, uh, you know, I took that risk with you guys and I thought I'm going to take this risk with those guys. And I invited them to be on an advisory board that we created. And to my surprise, they all said yes. And so we started this little advisory board and, um, you know, there was like five guys on it that we have and, and I'll never forget, you know, I was trying to show Dave Brinker one time, a bunch of these product ideas that I had and some other little prototypey things that I had. And he kind of stopped me in my tracks and he was like, you know, what are you doing? What are you, what are you really trying to become? And I'm like, well, I just, I just want to sell product, right? I just want to come up with cool things and sell it. And he was like, that's not good enough, right? Like, you really have to think about where you're going as a business, what kind of brand you're trying to create and how you're going to connect with the customer, right? It's not enough just to sell product. You, you actually have to do something. And so we went through a really big process at that point of just trying to think about who we are as a brand, what direction we're headed, um, how we're going to, kind of build a system of products that work together. And, you know, at that point, we kind of realized that the Sissy Sticks name, although it was disruptive and catchy <laughs> and, you know, did what it did, what it needed to do, right? It, it, nobody could forget the name after they heard it. Um, and we showed the polls being used in really epic places by epic people. And, and that was enough to sell, you know, a trekking pole, but it, you know, we really decided we're going to have to go through a rebranding process here to turn Sissy Sticks into a, a brand that can actually be applied across multiple products. And um, so we went through a rebranding process and those guys on our advisory board were really instrumental in, in helping, um, helping me go through that process. And, and that's where, you know, we came up with Peaks Equipment. And, um, and now we're really focused more on not just trekking poles. That's a big part of our business. It's our flagship product still, but we've got three models of poles now, um, you know, a couple more in the works. And then, you know, we're really transitioning into a brand that, that develops backcountry hunting equipment, uh, primarily focused around the backcountry campsite. And uh, that's where we're at today. That's awesome. And I know uh, you, you now have a, a folding trekking pole the the z poles yeah. 
which are my yeah. favorite. And I now have those uh, in my pack everywhere I go. And, and I have since learned that the, uh, the straps that you have on the poles work just fine. And <laughs> it, uh, I used to, I used to run my hand uh, whatever opposite is. I don't even remember anymore because I do it both ways and it's, I get one in there like, yeah, that's the wrong way. I put it the other way, but right. you know, you can either run your hand up through the strap and then grab the pole or down through the strap and, and grab the pole. And I always did it backwards before and I got good leverage on it and it worked just great. Uh, but as soon as I switched over, it gives me more versatility because I'm able to go uphill and downhill without kind of changing hand position. You know, it's just a slide right. to the top of the pole. And, and then, uh, you know, I was getting blisters in between my thumb and my finger uh, when I first started using those foam ones, I thought, well, it's the foam and, you know, I, I really like the core hand grip. And for whatever reason, it was because of the way I was gripping it incorrectly right. and no more issue with that. So, uh, like you said, though, there's, there's a difference between a trekking pole that a hiker uses on an established trail for their, you know, 30 or 40 pound backpack overnight load and a trekking pole that you're using going through blowdowns and carrying a hundred pounds of elk meat on your back. Right. Uh, there, there's a difference. And yeah, so far, and, and I've abused them. I used them a ton shed hunting with super heavy loads, you know, way in the backcountry, crossing creeks and rivers and everything. And they've held up incredibly well. And, and to your credit, you know, that combination of the carbon fiber on the upper half makes them lightweight. Um, I don't know. Did you get the, I know John Abernathy took a picture of me coming off of a stump or a log with a pretty heavy load. And I was amazed he hit the picture right at the right time, but that pole was bent. It was like bowed yeah. significantly yeah. and no issues at all. And then that aluminum bottom, uh, you can just takes a lot more abuse than carbon, you know, carbon, you hit it against rocks and blow down right. some stuff enough times and it's going to start cracking and that yeah. aluminum just allows you to beat them up pretty good. So yeah, it's the, pretty uh, awesome to, to see a, a trekking pole made by hunters for hunters. Yeah. And like you said, it just, it, it, it was a process. The things that work for your hiking crowd, you know, that's staying on established trails, even if they're in the backcountry, you know, they're still on established trails and routes and a, and a backcountry hunter that might use those trails to get into the backcountry, but quickly deviates from those tra trails and just is climbing over rocks and stumps and scree fields and everything else. Just the abuse that those poles take is significantly more than what the average, you know, trail hiker is going to put on them. And, it, you know, surprisingly, you know, we uh, figured out the the secret formula, I guess, you know, it just works. And, um, so far so good. Our, our warranty rate on our trekking poles is like 0.2% or something. That's just something <laughs> incredibly low. And, uh, but you know, if anybody does have a problem, we just fix it. We just take care of it. Our, our trekking poles, to my knowledge, have the most comprehensive warranty in the industry. And, there's really never been a situation that we've said no to. Um, you know, when somebody calls us or sends us an email and says, Hey, I, you know, had an issue. And even the guy who let his dog chew all over the <laughs> handle of it, <laughs> you know, we just, we just like, well, it happens, you know, we'll send you a new one. Um, That's awesome. but, you know, 
our goal is just to support the hunting community and, and hunting in general. And the best way we can do that is to support the hunters and, and help them out when they have issues. So. Yeah, I'm just on your website and uh, the page who we are. Our purpose at Peaks has always been focused on protecting the future of outdoorsmen worldwide. And then I love the first of the threefold mission of provide opportunities for others to experience meaningful and lasting connections with the outdoors. And you know, that's huge. And then, you know, you've got support conservation efforts to improve wildlife habitat and increase access to public lands, which Randy and I are always stressing the importance of building that bigger pie. And, and those last two yeah. definitely fall into that. But, you know, people, th there's a lot of people, especially in the last year and a half that have got into the outdoors. They wanted to explore more and just, you know, make those connections in the outdoors. And so I think, you know, what David Brinker said to you about who are you, where are you going, you know, make all the awesome product you want to, but you have to have a, you have to have a purpose, you have to have a direction. Yeah. And once you have that direction, you know, the product can come easy, but the, uh, the connection between the product and the brand, uh, I think comes through that, that purpose and that mission. So that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, that, that process again was something they were really helpful with of, you know, I remember someone, I can't remember who said, you can't, you can't have a two-legged stool. And so when we were thinking about that mission, we, we really just thought about, okay, what are going to be the three pillars of peaks? And those things you just mentioned, providing opportunities for others to get out, have meaningful experiences in the outdoors, um, you know, supporting conservation efforts and improving access to public lands. Those, we just really felt like those were, three things that worked well together and supported, you know, this community that we love so much. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm guessing you're, uh, you're not still full-time employed in the uh, financial <laughs> world. No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, I went in when we saw, you know, the, the business start to, to take off. I just, I went all in. I was so sick, Corey, of, climbing corporate ladders and trying to get ahead in, in corporate America that I just, when I saw this really was viable, I just said, forget all that. I, you know, I, it was stressful. It took me away from my family a lot. And I just thought, here's my opportunity. This is my chance. I'm going to just bail and give this a go and put my whole heart and soul into it. And Hopefully it works, and so far so good. That's awesome. That's the uh, the American entrepreneur dream, right there. That's the story that yeah. so many of us have been through. That you know, tired of whether it's corporate, whether it's long hours, whether it's a job we don't like. There's no meaning in it, but there's something that comes along that aligns with a passion or a, a spark, and and it's it's a cool story to hear. Yeah. So. And your family, I'm sure, probably wishes you'd go back to work now instead of being at home and <laughs> always available. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, what's interesting is we were running it out of the house for the you know the first two years basically, and you know the garage was just getting fuller and fuller and fuller, and then it started flowing into the house and the kitchen table and the living room coffee table, and you know my wife six months ago, I think, you know, bless her heart. She's the most supportive person on the planet. She, she has from day one 
just been like, you really need to do this. And this is something that I see you are so happy doing that you just got to go for it. And it's been awesome. But, but six months ago, she did finally start going, you got to get out of the house. You got, you got to go find a warehouse. You got you to do something. So, you know, actually just a few months ago, we got our first warehouse and, uh, it's, you know, for those of you that are listening in, in the Bozeman area, if you know where Birch Barrel is just off of kind of Jackrabbit and Baxter, we're right next door to the Birch Barrel um, location. And we've got a, you know, warehouse space and a little showroom up front. And we're still working on trying to get the showroom finished up, but um, we're super excited about it. And I finally, you know, gave my wife her house back so she's happy about that <laughs> uh it was the same story for me when i started we uh we were shipping gear out of our closet like i had a, a full office set up in our bedroom and had all of the shelving and everything in our closet was was the home to all the gear that we would ship and yeah it was it was a nightmare but sometimes that's, that's how you have to start yeah it really is you just have to you know, I, I, you think of any great business, right? Even you go back to like Apple computers or whatever, and you see those old photographs of them sitting in a garage somewhere, right? And, yep. I, you know, there you can. there's businesses that go out and raise a bunch of money and, you know, have a lot of capital and they, they can start that way, which is, is great for them. But I think there's really something to be said for the entrepreneur who's willing to just be scrappy, be nimble and, and just make it work with what he's got and figure it out and, and just slowly piece by piece, put it together and grow over time. And I just have a lot of respect for, for people that do that. So. Absolutely. So we've got the, uh, we've got three different models of the trekking poles right now. What other yeah. products uh, are available through peaks equipment? Yeah, so we came out with our Gators, our Stormcastle Gator last year. Um, you know, and our focus with the Gator, again, one of those products that's kind of out there. It's been there forever. And you think about, you know, a Gator and you, you probably think, how can you really improve upon the Gator much? But <laughs> we we really, you know, we had heard horror stories of, of Gators and people going, man, I just blow through Gators all the time. And so with our Stormcastle Gator, we really just tried to focus on three things. It was durability, number one, protection, number two, and all-day comfort, number three. And everything we did in regards to that design, if it didn't tie into that, then we just scrapped it and forgot about it. So we put a lot of effort into you know building a really durable Gator uh, our gators feature a Dyneema thread, which, you know, a lot of people don't know a lot about Dyneema, but it's, um, it's 12 times stronger than steel or something crazy like that. Yeah. And, you know, all the professional sailboat teams and, you know, the, all the sails are, are stitched together using a Dyneema thread. Um, so it just, re it, it's super durable, super abrasive resistant. Um, and it just is so far they've been bulletproof and, you know, we lot added a lot of extra features. Our, our bootstraps have a Kevlar reinforcement in them. We added a, a medial kick plate on the inseam instep of the Gator. That's a, a Hypalon material, which is the same material that's used to make uh, the military's rubber rafts and things like that. So anywhere where we felt like we could just beef up that Gator and make it really durable 
and provide a lot of protection. We just did that. Um, my favorite feature really is actually the buckle system up at the top. It's, it's kind of a unique gatekeeper cam lock combination and it allows you to, to cinch that strap down, lock it in place and then use the gatekeeper to just do a quick on and off of the buckle so that you never really have to adjust the buckle, you know, in the future, you just leave it where it's at, use the gatekeeper, lock it in place and it's good to go. But those have been really well received. We were actually pretty surprised at at how well they've done. Um, The only question we keep getting asked is, are you going to come out with more colors, right? (laughs) That was my first question to you. (laughs) I remember I, uh, I got them and and used them on a shed trip. And when I got back, you said, well, any feedback? And I said, yeah, are you going to make them in Ranger green? (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, yeah, we are. And uh, it's, it's a process, right? We, we really just, we knew black went with everything. So we started with black and, uh, we just wanted to see if they'd sell. It was kind of like the trekking pole experiment, right? Like we built it. I remember placing that first order for trekking poles and getting a little puckered at like, that's a lot of money. Is, is this going to work? And then gators were the same way. You know, we placed a pretty big order and we thought, yeah, are these going to sell? And, I think literally within two months we sold out of the first round of Gators and uh, we just felt like, okay, yep, here we go. So yes, we'll be coming out with more colors, probably like a load in green, um, <laughs> kind of an earthy tone. And then, you know, maybe a tan color or a gray. I think the load in green will be probably the next color that we, that we come out with. But um, if my yeah, vote Gators, counts for anything, that, that would be my vote. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> well, that's where we're going to focus. So. No, and I, I loved the fit around the boot. And that's, you know, that's really why I wear gaiters is to, A, keep water out coming in from above. You know, your pant legs get wet. It soaks into your sock and goes into your boot and your feet are wet all day. Sure. Uh, so you wear a gaiter up below the knee and it eliminates most of that when you're walking through wet grass. You know, your pant leg doesn't get wet, which keeps the sock and the boot dry. But then we do a lot of you know, stream and creek and even river crossings, especially in the spring. Right. And, you know, most of the time we aren't taking waders or anything with us. And so being able to keep that water out, and it seems like inevitably just the design of most gators, you know, they don't clamp around the boot enough to make a seal and right. keep water out. And that's, you know, wearing the, the Stormcastle gators this spring, I had no issues with water getting in from anywhere. You know, my feet were dry all day with several creek crossings and walking yeah. in wet conditions. And so it's, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that, are they essential? No. But if your feet are dry, you hike a lot farther, a lot longer and a lot more comfortable. And, you know, it's yeah. kind of like the trekking poles. I don't seem to hardly go. And and for me, even in early season archery for elk hunting, I wear gaiters now just to yeah. keep dust and dirt and weeds from getting down in my boot. And it's just, yeah. I wear a gaiter pretty much anytime I'm, I'm out doing anything in the outdoors. Yeah, I'm same way. And um, so far, you know, they've, they've been pretty bulletproof for us. We've been really pleased with with the overall response that we, that we've received. And the, the thing I love to hear the most actually is a lot of people will say, man, I put them on and I just totally forgot that I was even wearing them. Yeah. Which is what you want to hear, right? You, you, you want the, the gear to do its job, protect you, but the comfort level that, you know, when you, when you can tell that, or when you can't tell that they're even on, 
is just that's perfect for us and we just thought that yep we hit it so yep what uh what else is can can we talk about future ideas yeah. and products <laughs> yeah well we can pull the curtain back a little bit uh, so i was gonna say because i'm uh, i'm taking the trekking poles and the gators to alaska with me uh we're leaving well by the time this podcast comes out we'll probably be on our way there but we're uh, heading to alaska elk hunting and the the trekking poles and the gators aren't the only peaks equipment that i'll be taking with me that's right um so We've been working, like I said earlier, we've been working on a lot of things around the backcountry campsite and, you know, probably the staple product in everybody's backpack when you, when you get in the backcountry that you have to have is some kind of a shelter, right? And so um, we've been in development for a couple years now of a, of a single-walled TP shelter that you're going to take with you and test out. You're probably taking it to one of the worst places on the planet to test, um, but it'll be a good test, right? Oh man, <laughs> if it survives this trip, it'll be uh, it'll be worthy. Yeah. So you know we we we've, we've gone through about three generations of prototypes on this um, on this particular TP. Um, we've got a couple other models as well, shelters that are they're going to incorporate our trekking poles. And again, as, as I kind of mentioned, we're trying to build, take a system approach, right? So all of our products, we want to work together in some capacity. And so, you know, with our TP in particular, there's a really unique feature that integrates our trekking poles into the TP, but not as the center pole. And that's all I'll say about it for now, but um, it's really cool. We think it's kind of another game changing approach to, um you know tp structures and um we're excited about it we're super excited about it so you know that's a that's a product that's coming out um of course you know if you have a tp you got to have a stove uh for those late season colder weather environments and so we're working on a, a titanium ultralight titanium stove uh, for the tp not um, even late season. I'll, uh, <laughs> where, where we're heading next week, early season, we're uh, relying on a stove. So that's true. Uh, that's it's going to be such a wet and cooler and windy environment that we really have to have a way to dry out each day. So super excited to uh, to put the teepee and a stove to the test in the backcountry of Alaska. Yeah, it's going to be great. I mean, regardless of the outcome, I think we're going to get such valuable feedback from your experience <laughs> out there. Um, but we're, you know, we're we're pretty confident that it's ready for a field test. But, you know, again, uh, it's like trekking poles, right? Why would we send them to the guys that go to the worst places? But it uh, it needs the, that test, and and we're pretty confident that it's going to perform pretty well, so. And I think it speaks to your other product too that you know we're willing to to take it to a place like that, knowing that if it does completely mass fail, we're uh, we're hosed. So we're yeah. we have the confidence that it won't mass fail. And obviously, I mean it's <laughs> it's going to be its first test in a brutal environment like that. So there's probably going yeah. to be some feedback. But yeah, uh, that's that's exciting to me to be able to have a hand in you know trying out new things and be able to say hey. We had 60 mile an hour winds all night. You know, a teepee probably isn't the best wind proof or, uh, you know, as far as the 
the design of it, you know, to be wind resistant. And, uh, but I think, you know, from what I've done, the research I've done, the studying I've done, really, they are pretty, pretty well designed. You don't have the flat wall that is going to stand, you know, directly against the wind. It's going to allow the wind to hit and kind of angle off of it. And so, yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be fun. We took a kind of a, a unique approach to some of the guy out points and and tying guy out points together, which has never really been done before, at least that that we've ever seen. And so, you know, we had a big storm that blew through here in Bozeman a week ago or whatever, and we had about sixty mile an hour gusts. And I was really nervous to go drive out and check the TP that next morning, um, but we got out there and looked at it and. It, it looked like it hadn't even moved. So um, so we think that this new approach to kind of the, the guy outs is going to work really well. Um, we're super excited about that. So that's where that's at. You know, in, in regards to other products, again, backcountry campsite, that's where we're focused. And, you know, we're kind of taking the approach of let us help you get to camp and let us help you establish camp. And, you know, like our gators, we're really there's th- the three things that we want to focus on and that's durability protection and comfort we think think that you know if you got a really durable product that's going to last and withstand whatever conditions the backcountry can throw at it um, it's going to keep you out there longer if you're protected you're going to stay out there longer and if you're comfortable you're going to stay out there longer so that's really our philosophy around designing product is just if we can if we can check the boxes on those three things, then we ha- we feel like we have a win. Definitely. And one thing that you didn't mention in any of that that um, so far has been very pleasant for me is you know the comfort of carrying some of the stuff. You know the trekking poles are super lightweight. Right. Uh, this TP and stove system. When you told me the weight of it, I thought that's lighter than my you know, two yeah. or three man backpacking tent, just a small little tent that you can't even stand up in. You, you know, you have to duck down to put a shirt on in the morning. And right. some of the weights of these things are just incredibly light. So, you know, it's going to resonate with, with hunters for sure. You know, right. we're always looking to shave a couple ounces here and there and yeah. not have to sacrifice quality and comfort. So it's a good combination. Yeah, and you know, we knew that there's obviously a weight threshold. There's there's lighter products out there on the market, obviously, but um, but there's that durability component too that we were just like there's a there's a a real balance there that you have to strike between durability and weight. And but we also know that you know if you're too heavy, it's just too heavy, and people aren't gonna you know want it. And so you know we're we're always trying to to balance those two things of well, how light can we go, but still be really durable? So, very cool. So, what uh, what's on your your docket for the fall? Where are you going to yeah. be testing gear, and what's uh, yeah? What are your elk? What are your elk season plans? Yeah, well, you know, we're super excited. You you just announced it on on social media, and we're super excited to be part of Destination Elk this year. And Brandon and I have been really busy trying to to scout a new area I, it's i was telling you before we started the podcast that uh we've hunted the same areas around bozeman for so many years that never really had to do e-scouting it's it's one of those things i've just been like 
we know where we're going to hunt and there's elk there. So I'm not going to waste time trying to find a new area. It's always, you know, we've been successful. And, but when I started talking about this with my brother, you know, you could see his, his, uh, mind start going. And I you don't think he was really too comfortable with us taking a camera, <laughs> a cameraman into our coveted honey holes. And so, you know, we agreed that we'll leave those areas sacred and, and we won't, you know, disclose that, but we'll go find a new area. And so, you know, we've, we've done some hunting kind of just randomly spring bear, things like that in, in different areas. And, um, we had kind of located a, a spot that we thought would be really good for, for the fall and elk hunting and, um, spent basically the last two months e-scouting and putting a little bit of boots on the ground in those areas. And we're, we're excited to try a new area, um, and just get out and learn some new country. And it's a rough year to probably do that with, you know, the, the drought and the conditions, but that'll just make it, you know, I think all that more special in the end of if we're successful, which we expect to be and hope to be, that uh, we were able to do something totally new and and explore new new country and have a new experience and uh, you know for Brandon and I as kind of a, a father son team it's it's going to be a great opportunity to just be together and bond as as family and and hopefully get into a bunch of elk so that you know we're super excited to to number one be a part of destination elk this year and number two have this new experience. So we think we're going to have to adapt our style a little bit more than, than what we normally do. We we're very similar to, to your style and in regards to hunting normally, and always just putting on the miles, trying to find that bull that wants to play. And, um, but this year we might have to adapt a lot more than, than what we normally do. So, um, we're just excited about it. So what what do you what's going to cause you to adapt, or how are you thinking you're going to have to adapt? I think just you know not knowing the area as well, not knowing kind of where these elk are going to you know hold up and and pocket themselves with the conditions. We you know we might have to. I, I say sit water. I'll never sit water all day, <laughs> but you know there there might be times where we might have to change a little bit and you know find those those pockets of water that are that exist and, and kind of focus on those a little bit more or, or really good feed areas. Um, you know, those are all things that you normally would focus on, I think as an elk hunter, but, you know, normally we're just trying to go find that bugling bull, you know, establish a setup and call that bull into that setup. And this year, you know, we might change those tactics a little bit. We might be a little more stealthy and, uh, you know, trail the herd a little bit more until we figure out, kind of what their patterns are and where their bedding areas really are. And, um, we haven't really wanted to go in and put a lot of pressure on these elk in this area that we're focusing on ahead of season. So, um, you know, we've been, we've done a lot of e-scouting, um, and, and just looking at the area through Google earth and, um, and then we've done a little bit of boots on the ground and, you know, we're just going to play it by ear and, we've picked out kind of two or three different hunting areas that we can all kind of, we can hit from kind of the same base camp area. And, uh, and we'll just, if one area is not producing, we'll move to the next and just hope for the best. Yeah. 
No, it's uh, for for any of the listeners that haven't heard what we're doing for Destination Elk this year. Uh, Destination Elk is our annual elk season day-by-day video series that we do on the Elk 101 YouTube channel. And it's been, you know, primarily Donnie and I just kind of following us around throughout our season. And we've incorporated, you know, Dave Brinker. We hunted Roosevelt's with him one year, so he was part of it. And then uh, Corey and Shannon from Angry Spike, they've been on the podcast before, and we've hunted with them uh, a couple times, Chase and Roosevelt's, and then uh, Mark and Jeff Skousen, the twin brothers out of Utah, they've been involved. But this year we thought, you know, we're going to, we really like the TV show alone, and so we thought, you know, we're going to try to incorporate something similar to that. It's not going to be a competition at all, but we are going to have different teams and different camps for the same amount of days. And each episode of Destination Elk is going to basically uh, bounce around from camp to camp and just check in on the action of each camp on the corresponding days. So we've got seven teams. So there'll be 14 hunters total. Each team will have a cameraman. And uh, they'll be hunting for an eight-day period. And I think we're covering like five states this year. We've got Montana, uh, I think Wyoming, Idaho, Oregon, and then Donnie and I are heading to Alaska to chase elk. So there'll be a pretty good range of hunting styles, of different terrains, of different personalities. And, you know, it's going to be pretty cool i think uh yeah you know keeping it there'll be no competition no contest at all it's just more of a, a varied education instead of just following donnie and i along uh right you see a lot of different hunting styles and different personalities and you know you look at randy randy newbergs he's uh one of the teams with one of his camera guys and those guys the two of them are probably the most uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. They, they have a lot of personality. <laughs> they do. So yeah. there's going to be uh, no shortage of, of personality in that camp. Uh, Bo Beatty, who everyone loves Bo and, and his llamas. He's hunting with uh, Marcus, who's another of Randy's camera guys. And then uh, you and your son, Brandon. And then we've got Corey and Shannon from Angry Spike and Mark and Jeff Skousen and then Donnie and I, and then uh, we're bringing in uh, the guy that I share an office with, Tyler Crockett. He and his hunting partner, Lenny, uh, they have Pure Elevation Productions. They do some YouTube stuff as well. So got a, a varied group of hunters who are very successful, but just a cool group of guys who love uh, sharing, who are all passionate about public land and public land access and conservation and just a stellar group of guys. I'm super excited to to see how it all comes together. Yeah, I mean we're we're super stoked to see everybody else's experience too. I mean, and when you told me you were kind of patterning this after that um, alone series on the on the History Channel, I I'd never watched that show before, and I went out there and I, I'm literally after the first episode, I was hooked, and I think I watched. I don't know how many seasons they have, six or seven seasons or whatever it is, but just finished um, eight. Yeah. <laughs> eight while. So, you know, I, I just was like, man, this is going to be awesome. And what a, what a great format to follow. And I think that it's going to be really engaging for your audience to, to be able to see all these different hunting groups and how they approach, you know, elk hunting. And I think it'll be a super educational experience and, just a really great, 
great time. Yeah, we've got Randy. We we talked something early on about it'd be cool to have like a a rookie team, you know, somebody who's never elk hunted before or someone who's never killed an elk before. And we just kind of mentioned it, you know, that how cool that would be. We have gotten more emails through the Elk Talk podcast email route than you could imagine with people volunteering themselves or suggesting people <laughs> and that's uh i think you know we've uh we've had several female hunters that are like hey this is uh you can't just have a bunch of guys hunting you need to include a female group and so if this goes over like we're hoping it does uh we've got some pretty cool plans for next year already that hopefully we'll be able to to implement and include some of those suggestions yeah, I know. I, I think it's going to be awesome for several years to come. And I was at an event last night that my brother showed up to and he had he had seen the post on social media kind of announcing it. And he was like, wow, that looks like it's going to be awesome. And I think the excitement leading into it and just the variety of terrain and elk species and everything else that people are going to be able to enjoy through this series is just going to, it's going to be so well received. And I think it's going to just take off on you for sure. Yeah. Well, you just look at, you know, last year was a slow year. Our first eight days of, of season of hunting here in Idaho, we only heard elk bugle like on three days. And I mean, we were, we were showing grouse, you know, we were, we were shooting grouse and that was an episode <laughs> because there was no that. action and it's hard yeah. to do a day by day series sometimes throughout the whole season because there are stretches where there's just, it's hard to get into the action. So you just think yeah. about having seven different camps hunting for eight days, somebody's going to be into some serious action every day. So every episode's going to be yeah packed hopefully full of full of action so we're gonna we're gonna hunt eight days so the morning of day one will be one episode the evening of day one will be another episode uh, we've got an intro episode we'll have a conclusion episode we've got some bonus episodes so we're planning on uh, 18 to 20 episodes just wow. of of that eight day stretch and then uh, you know we've got all of our other hunts that we'll still film and we'll incorporate them you know, maybe into a destination elk uh, bonus series or something at the end, but right, a lot of a lot of good stuff coming for sure. Yeah, super exciting, super exciting. Oh, so one of the the things, and I I know you you switching areas to protect the sacredness of an area you've hunted <laughs> forever. Something we yeah. run into, you know, all the time. Just when you're filming hunts, it's hard because you either a are showing too much scenery and people know where it is, or you aren't able to share some of the incredible scenery that we that we get to see. We were hunting in Wyoming a few years ago, and it was some of the most epic elk country I've ever seen. You know, everything was changing colors. It was frosty wow. in the morning, just these huge mountain peaks, just absolutely beautiful. And we couldn't show any of it because right. it would have <laughs> gave way exactly where we are. Right. Um, but but part of it that comes into play also is permits. We have to have film permits for yeah. every team in every national forest. And, you know, we've got, I just sent the list over to verify that we had everything covered. I want to say we have like 12 different film permits, which when you look at an average of $150 per day for eight days uh, for 12 different permits, 
it gets yeah. incredibly expensive and it also you know locks you into where you can and can't hunt sometimes and yeah so i mean it, i was you know we were going through that process with with randy randy was helping us with ours and he called me and he asked a bunch of information and I gave it to him. I was trying to be, you know, as broad and vague as I could about our, and he, he's kind of like, well, I need to be a little more specific than that. And I was like, okay. And then I thought we were good. And then a few days later, Dale, one of his, you know, guys called me and he's like, uh, I need, I need to get some more specific information about where you're going to be hunting. And so I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. So I gave him one. He's like, are you going to be, going this far down this certain drainage and i'm like well maybe i don't know why and he's like well if you do that that part just drops into a different ranger district and we got to get a whole new film permit for for just that little part of this basin that you might hunt in and we'd yep. like to avoid that if possible and i was like man this process is crazy it um, is so yeah, and for us, we're doing the same. We're hunting a brand new area. Donnie and I have never been to the area before. Uh, we just, you know, I've, I've hunted the same area in Idaho for close to 25 years now. And that's the only yeah. unit in Idaho I've ever had an elk tag in. And you get kind of, you know, stuck in a rut and, you know, you're familiar enough with it. You can always find elk, but it's right. just, it hasn't been the same experience. And so I got looking and and me being a engineer nerd and a numbers nerd <laughs> i uh i took the go hunt insider information to a whole nother level and i actually broke down every unit in idaho and put a weighted scale on what was important you know the priorities so bull to cow ratio success rates percentage of six point bulls all these different things i didn't just look at it i said okay if the success rate is 30 percent or higher this unit gets three points if it's 20 to 30 percent it gets two points if it's 10 to 20 percent it gets one point if it's under 10 percent, it gets zero and did mm -hmm. the same thing for uh bull to cow ratios and everything and then added up the the points for each unit and found out that the unit that we've been hunting is like number 43 out of 70 some units Oh, in Idaho, wow. and it's like we aren't even wow. hunting an average below average unit and so using those numbers i looked at the top 10 and obviously don't want to go to the top one or two because other right. people are, are already there but looking at the top 10 there were a couple that really stood out and so we're excited to to go somewhere new but it's the same thing we have to stay even within the same unit we have to stay on one side of a ridge and can't cross over it for the film permit reasons, because it changes to another national mm -hmm. forest district. And so it, it's just, there's a, you know, there, there are complications for sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's incredibly rewarding to be able to share the experiences um, with so many like-minded people involved this year who are passionate about getting other people out there and doing it, encouraging, inspiring, motivating other people to, to get out and hunt with the hope that those other people will not just take from the pie, but, but add to the pie in conservation efforts and in, yeah. you know, working to support organizations like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation who do so much to, you know, build that pie bigger. Their, their whole goal is to ensure not just a, a population of elk, but a huntable population of elk that is increasing, right. increasing habitat so that the landscape can hold more quantities so that we can support more hunters. And that's just, yeah. 
We've said it so many times. We just have to have uh, a unified voice, and the bigger that voice is, especially in today's political landscape, it's uh, it's just important to have more people on our side. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that's one of the things that I've really had my eyes open to over the last two years that we've kind of you know started to try to build this brand is just that before I was really pretty closed minded and thought the pie's only so big, right? And I've got my little slice of the pie and I don't want anybody else to have it. But the reality is you just keep making a bigger pie, right? Your, your slice might get a little thinner, but the pie gets bigger. And so you really still have the same. And it's just one of those things where I think the more people we can get involved and the more people supporting it, the longer it's going to last for us and for our kids. And it's just super critical and important for everybody to get involved and be engaged and and have a voice. You know, I, I, I was listening to a previous podcast that you and Randy did, and he had just gotten back from Helena, Montana, some legislative session that he had there. And some guy drove from Glasgow, Montana, six hours to go and have his voice heard for two minutes. Yep. And, uh, you know, I was like, wow, that's a great example. And I'm only an hour and a half away from Helena. So what's my problem, right? Why don't I get in the <laughs> truck and, and go there and but I think we all can do better and have a voice and help protect what we love to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Bryce, where can, uh, where can people find out more about Peaks Equipment and where can they buy a, a incredible set of trekking poles? The Z poles are my favorite. They're the, they're the ones that, how compact are they? 14 inches? Yeah. Four, 14 inches. The Z poles are 14 inches. My favorite are the elites. Um, they're not quite as compact, but they're a little more versatile. You know, I like to use my trekking poles for more than just hiking. I, I use them for glassing on top of with my binos. I prop out tent walls occasionally. I, you know, use them for a lot of different things, propping up my pack when I'm sitting there. And um, so the elites are my favorite. They're a little longer at 24 inches, but a lot, you know, all the same features as the Z poles and, um, but yeah, people can go to peaksequipment.com. Again, that's P-E-A-X equipment.com. But if you happen to go to peaks, like you would spell it correctly, um, it'd get you there too. So it just redirects you. But, um, yeah, peak, peaksequipment.com or we're on social media as peaks underscore equip. And that's the best way to kind of reach out to us and, and, and talk with us. And are you getting uh, product into retail space? What's your your plan? We are, there? we are. We uh, we've got two dealers um, that we work with now. Uh, Go Hunt is one that we are partnered with now. Black Ovis is one that we're partnered with, and um, I hear rumors that pretty soon all of our stuff will show up in the Elk One Hundred and One store. So we're super excited about that as well. I checked it this morning and it's there. So oh, it is. it's awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So the, Fantastic. the good folks at Go Hunt manage the uh, Elk 101 store for us. And uh, pretty much any product that they get in transfers over to the Elk 101 store. So uh, got it got it in both places. GoHunt.com, their gear shop, or the Elk 101 store at Elk101store.com. So definitely okay. check that out uh three different models of trekking poles the storm castle gator and depending on whether donnie and i survive in alaska or not there may be a, a tp tent coming in the future yeah let's let's hope so <laughs> <laughs> well bryce i appreciate you uh you 
agreeing to come on randy and i you know this time of year is so tough to yeah. randy starts hunting first of august you know i'm gone pretty much from september through mid-october and so we really struggle sometimes to get some podcast episodes out but you and i were talking and i said hey why don't you come on and and join us on a podcast episode and randy's uh i think he's antelope hunt now i think he's done with his nevada mule deer hunt and i think he's on to antelope now so yeah I, you can never keep track of that guy he's uh, <laughs> he's always going so he's i i do not envy his fall schedule there's some fall mm -hmm. schedules i envy and you know i look at it and say i wish i could do this a little more i wish i could go do that yeah. randy's schedule is one that it would wear out a, a young person yeah, I agree. So anyways, well, thanks for letting us come on uh, the podcast today. We're super excited uh, to be a part of what you're doing and uh, working with you and looking forward to see the outcome of your, your season this fall. So absolutely. Likewise. When, uh, when are you guys heading out for your, for your archery elk hunt? The ninth. The ninth. Yeah. Okay. We're, uh, we're hunting that new area, the ninth through the 18th and like I said, hopefully we'll get two bulls down. If not, we'll go back to our honey hole. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, best of luck to you. And Thanks, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll keep in touch and we'll, we'll be excited to watch the action here in a few months. Sounds good. Take care, Corey. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll catch you on the next one.